Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 184. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we are preparing for the Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness sequel by, of course, discussing the first Doctor Strange film. And I'll tell you what else was strange about this other than the title. This was one of the rare MCU films that you and I did not get a chance to see in theaters. We are usually all over these things. Right. I think that was because we didn't know that much about Doctor Strange. I mean, not that we really read the comics anyway, but I don't want to say that a lack of knowledge caused a lack of interest because we're usually not like that. We'll go see all the Marvel movies. But in this instance, uh, we didn't see it until uh, Disney Movie Insider sent us the DVD. Yeah, and I think that If I would have known then what I know now, not to be confused with my review of the film, of course, I would have jumped all over the opportunity to see this in the theaters because take the special effects aside, I forgot even up until this latest viewing just how much this film teased and set up not just the Infinity Saga, but this next phase of Marvel with the multiverse and all of that if I would have known how much it was setting up I would have I would have been there opening night yeah I think this really was the gateway into phase four for sure so neither one of us had much of a connection with Doctor Strange we didn't know much about Doctor Strange going into it so the question that I have is how did we feel about it the first time we saw it Have our views changed the more that we've seen it and the more that the MCU has been fleshed out? That is what we are here to discuss today. This episode is sponsored by the Hidden Mickey Supply Co. Products include Disney and Pixar-inspired 3D straw charms, ornaments, and personalized photo nightlights, which are really cool. You can have any photo, especially if you have it from Disney Photo Pass, put onto a nightlight. That's fantastic. They are so cool looking. Listeners of Monoreal Radio can get a 10% discount with the code Monoreal10 at checkout. Visit Hidden Mickey Supply Co. on Instagram and Etsy and stay up to date on all of the new releases. I also want to say that we're going to do this review linear, um, which is not outside the norm for us when we do films in the MCU because they can get really convoluted, but especially with an origin story such as this. One in which you are manipulating time. Yeah, yeah. there was no good way to do this if we didn't do it linear. So we start with Sorcerer Cassilius as he beheads the librarian at Camartage and steals pages from a mythical text that belongs to the Ancient One who once taught Cassilius the mystic arts. She attempts to stop him, but they escape. Um... Obviously, that sets the table for the entire film. This is an incredibly brutal opening. And a really different one for Marvel to start with the villain. I mean, they do start with Thanos uh, for Endgame. Yeah. But we've already been introduced to Thanos. This was just a really different way to kick it off. And I think it was appropriate for the Doctor Strange franchise if you will right and and to see a character get beheaded 
in a Marvel film, and they don't leave much to the imagination. It's not much of a cutaway. Um, I think it set a much darker tone, so much darker than a lot of the other films we've seen in the MCU. Um, But what I also thought they did really well here was that they did a really great job introducing this villain. We don't know much about him. They haven't fleshed anything out about him but you get such a feel for how brutal and how relentless he's going to be. Yeah, definitely a different direction than anything that we had seen at this point. I remember you and I reacting to the beheading because, again, not knowing anything about Doctor Strange, we both kind of went, whoa, as soon as that happened. Um, you know, and, and we sort of wondered how dark it was actually going to get. Um, the other thing that I found really interesting is that Caecilius calls the ancient one a hypocrite and it sort of works in the moment where you don't question it. But what you don't realize is that he is telling us everything that we need to know about the ancient one and about the film we're about to watch. Yeah, it's, it's they unpack so much in the first like three and a half minutes of this film. Right. It's just that we don't have enough information to know what a key word that was. Right. So in New York, brilliant neurosurgeon, Stephen Strange, Dr. Stephen Strange, <laughs> let me not disrespect him, shows off his photographic memory skills as a surgeon and his arrogance. While en route to a speaking arrangement, his reckless driving leads to a near-fatal car accident that injures his hands and effectively ends his career. So, you know, to, to kind of piggyback off of what we were saying in regards to having a really incredible introduction to a villain, they really go a different route here with introducing us to our protagonist because at first you think he's going to be so likable because he's got his rock and roll music, he's got his music trivia, he's got a very sarcastic tongue-in-cheek sense of humor, but he also is unwilling to give up on his patience. Um, So you feel like this is a guy that you're going to fall in love with and then it gets turned on his head because he He literally gets turned on his head. Yes, he does. And um, I kind of don't care that that happens because he becomes so arrogant and so rude and so dislikable that you almost, for, for somebody that didn't know much about this character, admittedly, I wondered if he was like the anti-hero, not in a Deadpool sort of way, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to reconnect with this character after you see how how horrific he truly is. They certainly did a good job of toying with the, or- the audience here. Uh, funnily enough, though, he actually reminds me a lot of Tony Stark in these opening moments. And I saw a lot of parallels, but the difference is I think that Tony remains likable through humor with Dr. Strange. The thing that's supposed to make him likable is that he's a doctor and he is saving lives and they do try to soften him with 
the gunshot wound, right. uh, which I thought was so smart and so strategic because he is a neurosurgeon. So, yes, he does deal with the brain. But as we later learn, his focus is on the spine and spinal reconstruction. That's really his specialty. So when his ex-girlfriend slash maybe lover there's still something going on there yeah when she pulls him into the er it seems like it's going to be a move out of the goodness of his heart to help on a surgery that sort of went awry they had actually declared the patient dead right and he comes swooping in and you know that he's going to be the hero but the way that he goes about it is just so arrogant not only as far as his attitude towards taking this on, but the way that he downplays the other doctor who couldn't pull this off the first time. Uh, this is the difference is that he's the difference with Tony Stark is that you still like Tony, even though he's kind of being a jerk at this point, Dr. Strange is being a jerk and Saving a life isn't necessarily enough to pad it because it gets even worse. I have a question for you, though. Yeah. Knowing what we know now and seeing how this character is starting to flesh out, do you think that he would have taken on this patient if the patient was not already declared dead by another doctor? No. And that's the difference, too, between him and Tony Stark. They are both the smartest man in the room. By far, um, they are both incredibly wealthy. They are both incredibly talented. They are both incredibly witty. And they both have a God complex. Yes. But in this case, because he literally plays God for a living, I mean, he, 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 can, he can save a life or he could declare somebody deceased he could make a mistake and end a life i think because rooted in his profession he is supposed to help people whereas tony stark is killing people with bombs it works for stark it doesn't work here because in reality you're supposed to trust your doctors to do the right thing and they waste no time in calling out that he does it for the money and for the CNN interviews and for the fame. And I think that's why, even though the two of them are so similar, mm -hmm. it works for Tony Stark. It doesn't work for him. Tony Stark is going to do what Tony Stark does regardless. But Strange would not have done anything for this guy if he wasn't declared legally dead. If it wasn't for him to get his praise and to show the other doctor up, no, he wouldn't have had anything to do with it. That's exactly what I'm saying. There's just not enough to redeem him here. And as we later learn, he is very concerned with his perfect track record. He won't even take patients on that he knows he can't fix or that the surgery is too simple. It's not intricate enough to get him some media attention. But in this case... I don't even think it was so much about showing the other doctor up as it was. He had nothing to lose on this patient because they were already gone. Right. And he was not the one who declared it. It was not his patient. Um, I want to know where just outside Manhattan these mountains are when he's in this sports car. Um, 
I don't know. I mean, look, not everybody is from New York, so not everybody is going to know where that is. But to start getting scenery like that, you got to get like an hour upstate. It stood out like a sore thumb. I was thinking the same thing. I know that they shot in two different locations to achieve that crash because they wanted it to be like the biggest crash in history, which kudos to the the filmmakers for wanting to take on Michael Bay in that regard. Um, and I, I think that they achieved their goal because you, you threw a Lamborghini off the side of a cliff and it, you know, turns every which way. Uh, but what really threw me more so than those mountains is that the bridge is right in the background shot as he's crashing. It almost looks like San Francisco, like the Golden Gate. Yeah. As you would going over uh, the other side, outside of the city of San Francisco. Right. Um, and there's nothing like that in New York, even as you get, not even by the Hudson, really. No. And, and you don't have, like, maybe the Tappan Zee Bridge, but that's not outside of Manhattan. Right. That's not how they're playing it. No. Like, he just left the city. Right. And, I mean, they make it seem like he's awfully close. And I'll be honest with you, I know they went through eight Lamborghinis and they said they shot this on two continents because they wanted to get the most epic car crash of all time. But this car crash is, like, too over the top. I mean, is it the most epic of all time? It probably is to the point where this man does not survive. Right. And, I mean, did you really need eight Lamborghinis to do this? I mean, I you didn't trash eight Lamborghinis. You know, some of them don't have the doors on. One of them is right. going to rotate for the flip. I, I get it. It's all different cars. We've all seen Lights, Motors, Action. We know how it works. Yeah. But um, you're right. I think they did need to exercise a little bit more restraint here because there should have been so much more damage. And point proven, the damage is all to his hands. That's what they needed to do. But I think the rest of his body should have been a tad more banged up than that. Yeah, for certain. Okay, let's get back into the plot here. Uh, Knowing that his career is likely over, Strange becomes obsessed with trying to fix his hands. Knowing uh, that he is spending money and energy on a lost cause, his ex, Dr. Christine Palmer, who we referenced earlier, tries to help him move on, but he rejects her efforts and hurts her in the process. While at physical therapy, Strange learns of a paraplegic named Jonathan Pangborn, who, against all odds, regained the use of his arms and legs inexplicitly. Um, Up to this point, I gotta be honest with you, the physical therapist is my favorite character in the movie. Yes, just calls it like he sees it. Exactly, because he's the only person that is willing to call Strange out on his nonsense. It also doesn't help that he is so awful to Christine in this moment. Like, I should feel horrible for him because he's been in this terrible car accident that he caused, by the way. Um, And I just don't feel bad for him at all because... As an ex, she doesn't need to be doing all of this for him. She's going above and beyond trying to be his support system, and she didn't need to be. Right. And that's not even questioning whether or not she still has feelings for him. It's just out of, you know, her caring nature, because she is a doctor too, she's just trying to take care of him. This is the point where, as the audience, 
we should start to sympathize with him and be back on his side. But he is so arrogant that not being able to shave or write is not enough for us to feel bad for him or believe that he wants to get better for anyone other than himself. Because, you know, as a doctor, the, or as a surgeon, the most important thing you have is your hands other than your brain. So his biggest concern is not how do I get through rehab and get back to the point where I was for the sake of my patients. It's all about when do I get my hands back? How did you mess up my surgery? Yeah. He's doing research and because he is a doctor himself, he's overriding all of the other specialists who have miraculously saved his hands to begin with. Now he's forcing his own beliefs and his own studies upon them. And absolutely none of his behavior is enough to redeem him in our eyes, especially because it goes one step further in that fight with Christine. Not only is he ungrateful for everything that she's doing for him, but he really twists the knife in hard when she says, maybe it's time to give up. This is manic behavior. You know, there's other things to life than, than being a doctor. And he's, he goes, what, you? Ouch. I'm going to turn this into a positive. Cumberbatch slays. Yes. Slays in this scene. I love how much I hate Strange. And that is a total compliment to how good Cumberbatch plays him. Well, everybody knew that because, and, and this is sort of unheard of, especially when you're looking at the way Marvel gets slated out and they know years in advance when they're going to make these films, especially during the heat of everything leading up to Endgame. I mean, you had this, you had Ant-Man, all, you had Black Panther, all of those films that needed to fill in some gaps before we got to Endgame. They had it down to a science with this release schedule. However, they weren't like it. Cumberbatch was always their first choice and they weren't liking any of the second or third choices because he had a scheduling conflict. They pushed production six months to wait for him. When you're dealing with a budget like this and a huge blockbuster film, that almost never happens anymore. But th this must be as bad as when uh, Michael J. Fox replaced, uh, what's his name? Eric. Um, Eric's. Eric Stoltz. Yes, for Marty McFly. Yeah, ton of money and a ton of time wasted. Yeah, you got to be really messing it up. But I think that's also the point of making him so unlikable because I'm sitting here saying this is when you could have redeemed him and this is what you could have done. I don't think that that was ever the intent with Doctor Strange. I think that's a lot of the character because he isn't like any of the other Avengers, uh, like Tony like the cap where maybe the cap is a bad example because he was always the reluctant hero. And until, you know, they did the operation on Steve to, you know, make them all jacked. Right. Uh, he wanted to fight, but couldn't. And it was so ingrained in his head that he was always the little guy. He didn't know if he could then do it. So even though he could do it all day. Exactly. Oh, I walked right into that, didn't I? You sure did. <laughs> um, you're America's ass now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that in. Um, 
but even uh, Spider-Man, Iron Man, there was always a call to action where they were sort of the reluctant hero and they didn't just accept the responsibility right away and they questioned if they could do it. In Strange's case, I think you need to make him not care because he's not supposed to be a reluctant hero. His call to action is his own personal motivation. It's not the greater good. It is how do I get back to my glory days? Uh, So he is still going to seek out something that may not be believable at first, but by this point, every other main character we've had has seen the bigger picture. He does not. Right, because he's acting purely in his own self-interest, whereas a Tony Stark had to fight his way out of that cave to save his own life. He wasn't trying to make more money or return to making better weapons. He was just trying to escape that damn cave. Which you could very much argue was in his own self-interest, but that was to make the first suit. Once he realized what that suit could do and how much it could help people and that it would be a story of redemption because he's not just taking on his father's company that's making weapons. He realized that he could actually do something helpful. And then he just, he realizes, his only hesitation is, can I actually make this work? And then he decides to step up and do it and you know we see him fall but he's still pushing through because he knows that he can help humanity with it in the long run right and it's going to make him look good in the process correct strange is the opposite where humanity is secondary humanity will be helped if he gets his hands back but he doesn't really care about that yeah strange tracks down pangborn Um, to find out how he was healed. And Pangborn tells him to go to Kamartaj to elevate his mind and heal his body. Strange travels to Kamartaj, where he meets Mordo, who takes him in and introduces him to the Ancient One. When the Ancient One explains that she can help him convince his body to fix itself using the power of the spirit rather than using experimental medicine, Strange loses his patience and disrespects her. She proves herself to him by sending his soul out of his body and to the astral plane before kicking him out of Kamartage, but he refuses to leave until they let him back in and train him. Now a believer, he begs to be trained, which the Ancient One reluctantly agrees to. I have a lot of issues with this entire thing. Same. I don't mind the story with Pangborn. I like the mystery with Pangborn. I mean, Pangborn is kind of forthcoming and doesn't say, hey, you're going to be a sorcerer, but he says, I learned to expand my mind and my body was healed. He never promised him anything other than expand your mind and convince myself and all this mumbo jumbo. My big problem is that in typical strange fashion, he travels all the way there to disrespect and tell them off? 
it doesn't make any sense. And if you are at your wit's end and you are grasping at straws, you should be willing to do whatever it is that somebody can tell you. You should be willing to do anything that anybody tells you to fix yourself. But more importantly, whether you believe in the soul or not, whether you believe in the spirit or not, you saw it fixed Pangborn. So if it fixed him, suffice to say it should fix you too. Right. That's a really good point. That's not how I was thinking about it at all. Uh, First of all, I appreciate that they got Benjamin Bratt to crawl out from whatever hole he's been hiding in and do a movie because we really haven't seen him since what, Miss Congeniality? Sure. (laughs) Um, Anyway, uh, we know that Strange is desperate at this point, but I feel like he practically goes to Carmitage on a blind because... As you said, Pangborn doesn't give up really any information as to how he has healed himself. But I think even if he did, Strange is not going to believe that. So I feel like we needed something else to get him to Karmatage because Pangborn tells him that it's about elevating the mind. But I feel like he's hinting so much at the spiritual. I feel like you needed to bait Strange with something that plays more to his intellect. So I just feel like he didn't have a strong enough motivation to make a journey like that and to spend his last dollar, as he says, because even in the scene with Christine, she's saying you spend, you're trying to spend money that you don't even have now. Uh, So he's really down and out um and an act of desperation should be enough but for somebody who is so rational and doesn't believe in anything other than himself i just don't see how that was enough for him to go yeah um i mean he's just acting in his own self-interest but that's the whole problem with this is He went there. The only reason to go there was to be healed. They're telling him how to do it, and he tells them, no, that's not right. It's The whole thing is just a mess. And I feel like you're just creating drama for the sake of making him an even more dislikable character when you really didn't have to make him more dislikable. Yeah, they did a... Great job with everything leading up to the fight with Christine. Actually, now that I am thinking about it, though, maybe they could have spent a little bit more time in that montage of him struggling because we see how he's struggling physically. We see him put Christine down. And we see that he's sort of exhausted every possible option because there's no other doctor that's going to take his case on. Right. He does go under the knife again in the same hospital with a procedure that he found, but he's not progressing in the physical therapy. He keeps doing his own research, but I I guess that's it. There's like, you just needed a little bit more connective tissue to show that there were no other options in New York or the United States that he's got to go on this journey. And that, you know, hanging his hat on what Pangborn said is the last straw. Yeah, I mean, I think the special effects are, I think they're great. I think they're super trippy. I think they're really different than anything we had seen in the MCU up to that point. 
But I mean, this entire scene, that's like maybe the only positive that I can personally find in it. Um, Mordo takes his under his wing because he refuses to leave. You know, like, it's just not enough for them to want to take him in. You know what I'm saying? Like, when he gets sent into the astral plane, when the Ancient One sends him there and then boots him out, she all of a sudden reluctantly changes her tune because Mordo says, well, he's been out there for five hours. Certainly we should give him a chance. And it's, mm, yeah, I guess so. It's it's just not enough. I agree with you. This scene is still problematic because even though as we were talking through it, I feel like I sort of found the solution as to why he went to Carmitage. He still lacks the motivation to buy into anything that the Ancient One is telling him. Even though at this point they are still discounting that Strange is a doctor and they refuse to call him that, they're still trying to appeal to that sense in him by focusing on the science of what they do uh, and explaining exactly how it works as far as not even necessarily, not even necessarily energy, but just the composition of what makes up the universe. And they explained to him that with years of study and practice, the same way that he became a doctor, he can apply that to what it is that they're doing, but he still can't look past the, to quote the Avengers, the, the wizardry of all this. Right. So they take him in and they train him. Like I said, it's inexplic- uh, inexplicable because, you know, the most he can do is sit in the rain and pout. So as he trains, he meets Wong, the new librarian, and learns of Cassilius and how he turned to the dark side. He also learns of sanctums in New York, London, and Hong Kong that protect the world from threats from other dimensions. He learns to channel his energy to open gates and travel through the multiverse. Uh, Cassilius, meanwhile, summons Dormammu of the Dark Dimension, a place where time does not exist. As Strange progresses, he begins to teach himself reading from advanced texts, so the Ancient One introduces him to the Mirror Dimension to continue his training. Strange opens the eye of Agamotto and learns how to bend time. He reads the pages that Cassilius stole about the dark dimension and eternal life, but are stopped by a furious Wong and Mordo. When they realize that he was made for sorcery, their tone softens, but Strange says he only came to fix his hands. So no matter what he does, no matter how much they train him, no matter how good he gets, no matter how much he starts to buy into it, he keeps coming back and says, I just want to fix my hands. They take so long developing him into a likable character. And you know what? It wasn't until these latest viewings that that really dawned on me. Right. And that's such a weird flip because you would think that This experience has not humbled him in any way. Instead, it's feeding his ego and he has mastered all of these books. Wong is picking out more advanced studies for him. 
uh, you can see that the ancient one is sort of pushing him through the system. You know, like if, if he was in school, he'd be skipping grades. And he even says that's how he, he got his master's and his doctorate at the same time. Right. He, he was he has a photographic memory, so he could just do both. And he's eating through all of these books. So the fact that he was able to master all of this material in ancient languages and start getting into these different realms and actually making these things happen, wouldn't that be enough for him to want to stay for a reason other than himself and really see how far he could push this thing? Yeah, I love the bond that he starts to develop with um, Mordo. I think what I like most about what starts to happen here is how strange parallels Cassilius. How their egos are very much the same. Their training is very much the same. Their intellect is very much the same. But where it ends is Cassilius really bought into being a sorcerer and saw the bigger picture when he tried to get eternal life and, you know, at the same time as we're going to learn soon to expose the Ancient One for what she truly is in summoning the Dark Dimension. But that's where the parallels stop because other than Strange being a protagonist while Cassilius is an antagonist, Strange... He he should start to be all about being a sorcerer at this point. But all he wants to do is fix his hands and go back to being a surgeon. So, like, he starts to kind of become likable. But it's like you take two steps forward and three steps back with him. Right. And every time he starts to believe it, then he retracts. Like, for example, the first time he starts to believe is when the Ancient One separates the astral and physical body um and it's not until that happens that he's like okay teach me and then as you said he's waiting outside in the rain then he gets into the training and we see him struggle to make the portal it's not until and you know that the ancient one has taken an interest in him because she forces it out of him she leaves him on um is it everest Yes, I think I think so. Uh, I almost said Kilimanjaro and I'm mixing up my animal kingdom. Um, that's a safari. Yes, <laughs> I'm mixing up the rides. Yeah, she leaves him stranded on Everest and um, he's got to get back through the portal. So I get it. The idea was to force him to do so. But then even after that, he's training with Mordo and then still doesn't necessarily believe it. And then he studies, 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 and then thinks, okay, I'm ready to to go into the most advanced magic possible, although he won't admit that it's magic. Uh, so he goes for the time stone, and then he's able to use it. That sequence, though, is one of the coolest things that they did with the special effects in this film, with the apple and the stages yes. of the core. I love that. The way that the camera moves, I, I think it's just so well done. Um, but that's where they would have really, or they should have really taken care to tie it back to the hands because he's trying to find out what pages are missing from the book. If you can control time, 
wouldn't you want that for your own self-interest to go back and undo your accident? Yeah, you, you kind of could just do that, couldn't you? You could just bend time and stop yourself from reading a text message while driving your Lamborghini on the side of a cliff. That didn't even dawn on me. But this is where maybe the pacing is a little off because as you just said, he starts to buy into it and then he's focused on his hands. So now you want out to go save your hands again, but you're in it enough to go use the time zone and not enough for your own self-interest. There's just such a big disconnect there. I would have I would have bought into it more if he got busted trying to use the time stone for himself. Right. And that would have made a lot of sense. Um, it would have made a lot of sense if they had done a little bit more with Cassilius up to this point, too, because he's such a mysterious villain that I just wish we saw more of him. I don't know, because to your point before, when you're talking about Strange's studies being so parallel to Cassilius, I think maybe that would have felt like too much of the same if we had more Cassilius in. I'm also wondering if that is why they continue to make Strange unlikable and not give him this redemption arc because we have to see the parallels with Cassilius. And we have to start questioning the Ancient One, which is what Strange has basically been doing the entire time. And Strange, I think, too. that Because that's another thing. Like, this, this whole... What makes this film so different from anything else that we had seen up to this, this point is what a questionable character he is. Right. For as much as, you know, we, we had said this, Tony's like a Jack Sparrow, where you don't know what he's going to do next, but you know, ultimately, he will do the right thing. I don't think we're supposed to be able to discern that from Strange. No, I don't think so. All right, let's move on here. Cassilius destroys the London Sanctum and kills the Guardian in New York with the help of the Zealots. Strange fights them off using the Cloak of Levitation, but is stabbed and teleports himself to the hospital where Christine Palmer saves his life. This is where the character starts to become likable. And it's, it's kind of deep into the movie for you to start like endearing yourself to him or for him to endear himself to you, I should say. Um, but when he starts to... Knowing that he's outside of his element, knowing he's in over his head, trying to fight off Cassilius and the Zealots to protect the Sanctum, that's something that is just so uncharacteristic of him because this is one of the first times that he's acting for others and not for himself. And his sense of humor is starting to show through more and more when he goes back and forth with Cassilius. Yeah, this is a really interesting scene because I feel like he still doesn't necessarily believe in his own power enough. And as he is going through the New York Sanctum, this is sort of an example of failing upwards because he is just surviving and he doesn't know everything that he has access to. The cape does find him. Uh, I love the cape as a character. Yes, yeah, so do I. Uh, it's great. The only thing that I wish we had is a concrete time 
that has passed because we know that the ancient one tells him that he has to study for years. Uh, we see him grow a beard and then shave it off. But I think we need more of a definition of how many years as far as his relationship with Christine, because he's been emailing her. She's ignoring him. Obviously she's trying to move on with her life, but is it three years? Is it five years? Is it, I, I don't think 10, I think that's a bit much, but I think that that would have been a little bit helpful as far as their relationship and as, as far as knowing what exactly he should be capable of in this moment. The other thing that I find really interesting about this scene, and I think this goes back to what you said about this is where he starts to become likable because we do start to see the moral compass. Obviously, he is trying to escape with his life. He's trying to... Uh, bring down Cassilius, but what ends up happening is that he actually does kill one of the zealots. Um, not in the physical realm, though. He kills his astral projection, and that also kills his physical body. Right. And when he gets back to the New York Sanctum, he has to reckon with I'm a doctor, I save lives. And now I've just taken one. Um, and that immediately gets called out, though, by the ancient one, because I had sort of thought the same thing. And I was like, oh, now now you care about saving lives all of a sudden. Right. So there's that one instance where we're like, OK, humanity is in there somewhere with you. And she just levels him. Yeah, and I think, though, that that was necessary. I know they called him out on it, and I get the point that you're making, but this entire thing is about him sort of, for the first time, being a human being, having his little come-to-Jesus moment, right? And and part of that is when he takes his medicine with Christine, when she acknowledges that she wouldn't respond to his emails and he has to admit how horrible he treated her. You had to you had to soften him somehow because at some point we're supposed to start rooting for him. I, I wish they would have done it earlier than this. I think they waited a little too long, but I mean, I guess if you're going to do it at any point in the movie, this is the time in which you have to do it. So I sort of don't mind that he he starts to to think for other people and not for himself and that he starts to think about a moral compass you're not wrong about what you're saying but he had to do it eventually is my point right and i had touched on this before is that when when was he going to get humbled he finally has been uh but he's still not necessarily on board because they want to make him the master of the New York Sanctum. But now that he knows what this means for the bigger picture, he doesn't want to enter into a battle. He doesn't want to put himself into a position where more lives are going to be at stake. And I think that part of this is still a little backslide into what about me? What does this mean for my hands? And what does this mean about me getting back to my life as it was? Right, because he just wants to be pangborn. He just wants to quit the sorcery and go about living his life. Right. Um, but this is where things kind of start to fall apart because 
to your point or to what you said before, he returns to the sanctum. They want to make him the master, but he, he says he has no interest in it. He exposes that the Ancient One has been harnessing energy from the Dark Dimension to keep herself alive, leading to Mordo losing his faith in her. Cassilius returns to the New York Mirror Dimension, where he and the Zealots battle Strange and Mordo and kill the Ancient One, despite Strange getting her to the hospital. So everything starts falling apart here for Strange um, and really for everybody involved other than Cassilius. Admittedly, and perhaps it's because we see the Ancient One in Endgame, I completely forgot that she was killed in this movie and in such a brutal way. Same. Um, And I think that when they bring her in for surgery... There's a moment in the film that I think is sort of understated, and it's when Strange goes to perform the surgery to try and save the Ancient One's life, and his hands are shaking, and he realizes that he can't do it, so he literally passes the sword, passes the scalpel over to Nick, who is the doctor that he made look foolish in the beginning of the film. It's such a huge character moment but because so much else is going on and because the the plot is so convoluted and with the time bending and all that it completely gets lost agreed uh as far as time bending i want to touch on the scene that led into this i don't understand how six years after inception came out how the cgi looks so bad when new york is bending in and outside of itself I thought it was good the first time we watched it, but and and maybe now it's because it's come even farther. It doesn't look all that great. Uh, but as far as what you're saying as the passing of the baton here, uh, this is such a huge moment. It probably is the biggest moment of the film. You're right. Character-wise... This is really where we are at the peak of his arc right now. And now it's all downhill from here. He is quite literally passing the baton to the next doctor. Which is sort of twofold because he's accepting who he is as a sorcerer now because he realizes he can't do this anymore. His old life is behind him and this is the way forward now. Um... But it is also the moment where he realizes that he has to be a part of something that's bigger than himself. And even though that reason is because he can't, he's known he can't the entire time. It's that he accepts it now. Right. And from this point on, the movie kind of goes into like kind of a bizarre fast forward. Um, Strange convinces Mordo to help him defeat Cassilius despite his emotions. And they arrive in Hong Kong to see that the sanctum was destroyed and that the city was in a state of chaos. They also see that Wong is dead, but Strange bends time to reset everything and save Wong. Cassilius and his zealots come back, however, to continue their reign of terror. Strange heads to the Dark Dimension to strike a bargain with uh, Dormammu as Strange continues to bend time. And reliving the same moment over and over again, Dormammu sees that the two of them will be stuck in an endless loop unless he strikes a deal. And refusing to be Strange's prisoner, he agrees to retrieve the Zealots and to never return to Earth. 
Strange returns to Hong Kong, where Cassilius and the Zealots return to the Dark Dimension, thus saving the Earth. However, Mordo is upset that they did so, breaking the natural law and bending time, and he walks off. Strange returns to the New York Sanctum to continue his studies with Wong. Um, I want to point out the pacing here, because the movie has a runtime of less than two hours, which is short for a film in the MCU. Um, and I... It feels like a much longer movie than two hours. Like, sitting down to watch this, I would have sworn this movie was a solid two and a half hours long. So the fact that it kind of slogs along and then rushes through the final third... I think kind of says a lot about the pacing here. I actually disagree about the third act. To me, that scene where he's rewinding, it starts to drag until they start taking out the zealots. Very funny, by the way. I love that one of them is put in a fish tank and, you know, they put Cassilius into a wall. I thought that was all cleverly done, but they really to rewind that whole scene, they stretch it out quite a bit. Um, I love the scene uh, where he creates the time loop. I thought that was so brilliant. And I think this is where, if you were still on the fence about the character, at this point, he becomes likable. Not only because of the humor, but because you do see that intelligence come through where... Wong and Mordo had warned him about the dangers of messing with time. And they told him that this is something that could happen where he could be stuck in a time loop. And he decided to use that to his advantage and outsmart Dormammu. Um, I think that was so fitting for this character. And I feel like had they done a larger than life battle where, you know, Dr. Strange is trying to use the uh I don't even know what you call the orange things that come out of his hands but you know trying to use those as weapons against this massive big bad I think it just would have been ridiculous and even more drawn out so I'm glad that they stuck to the root of the character which is his intellect and use that uh as the downfall of the villains yeah, and the downfall of the villains, I got to be honest with you, I think Cassilius is a really good villain, and I think that this is such a weak end for him, because Strange doesn't defeat him, he just convinces Dormammu to make him go away. Cassilius is never truly defeated. So then is he really gone? No. So we might not have seen the last of him. But I mean, really, but it's a weak ending for a villain, though. I think part of the bigger goal was to set up Mordo as the next villain. But then, yeah, but an origin story can't be a bridge to the sequel. Right. Especially when the sequel is coming so long after. And really, even though it is Doctor Strange... It certainly feels, I mean, aside from the amount of time that has passed between this one and Multiverse of Madness, um, it really just does feel like two totally different movies. Because this was more of a bridge 
for the Avengers than anything else. Like I said before, this was like Ant-Man, like Black Panther, where you needed these origin stories to understand what was happening. We needed to see the Time Stone origin, right. not just the character. Um, but where the MCU has gone now and that we are in the multiverse, um, no, it should have been a complete film, not a bridge film, but... It also never was never intended to be a bridge to its own sequel. No, but that's how it feels. If you're not going to, if this entire thing was to set up Mordo for the second movie, right? This just it, then then what was the point of telling us this story? Why 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 not just kill Cassidius off after he exposes the ancient one? You you accomplish the same thing. But if the if the two have a battle between the hero and the big bad, this could have been epic. But instead, it's let's make a deal and I'll let you go. Okay, goodbye. And Cassilius is gone. But Mordo's going to be our villain in five years when we make another Doctor Strange movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just it's weak. Right. No, and that's what I'm saying. Not as articulate though. This film was always going to be a bridge film, but it was the bridge to Avengers. Right. This is too little too late after the fact yeah and even where they go with Mordo I felt like Mordo was kind of just a little childish like I don't like you anymore and took his ball and went home like I can respect the fact that he has such a respect and admiration for what the sorcerers do but you know your job was ultimately to protect the earth from 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 invaders from other dimensions okay yeah you had to break the natural law to do it but you saved humanity. No, but he'd rather humanity burn if they didn't bend time and break the natural law. Oh, see, I don't, I didn't interpret it that way at all. I don't think his issue was with breaking the rules. I think his issue was more that his mentor wasn't who he thought he, she was. And he's questioning everything he thought that he knew. Um, I mean, but he, I mean, he literally says we, we broke natural law and walks away. That's the thing. Like he doesn't even bring it up again that he's questioning everything that he knows because she was harnessing power from the dark dimension. We know it, but the lasting impression that he leaves before he walks away is we broke rules to do this. And then he leaves. It's a, again, it's a weak way to end. And I don't know that it's enough to set him up as a big bad in the second movie. I don't know that he's going to be a big bad, but he's definitely going to be an antagonist. Yeah. I I mean, there's so many things coming into play. A lot of people are saying that Wanda is really going to be the big bad in this one. Well, maybe not Wanda, because uh, there's been a lot... Um, of, of reading into the posters um, and how we're only seeing Scarlet Witch and not Wanda. And, and I think a lot of people are anticipating Scarlet Witch to be the villain. It could be. I think that's where the story goes. It's my understanding of it, that eventually Scarlet Witch becomes the most powerful being in the MCU. But I guess we're going to see how it plays out. I think we also need to watch What If because we haven't yet. 
Yeah, we're not going to be able to do that before Doctor Strange comes out. We don't have time. I know. We got other films we got to talk about. We got to finish talking about this one first. Um, the one thing I like about this conclusion, about this end, is that his hands are still shaking. And he kind of yes. stares at them. And he's sort of at peace with it. Because now he is going to be the master of the New York Sanctum. And he just knows what his responsibilities are. So I love the fact that could he have fixed his hands and decided he was going to stay? Yeah, sure. But I like even more the fact that he couldn't fix himself. But he's at peace with his role in the world now. I agree. And I think that's why this is so difficult to watch because we haven't watched it a lot. And the lasting impression of strange in my mind is him telling Stark that there's one possible outcome. That's the strange we know. That's the strange we love. So it feels like such a journey and it should, I mean, that's the point of making a movie, right? But it feels like such a journey to get him there. Yeah. Do you want to start talking about the cast here? Yes. All right. Huge cast. It is. Star oh, very wise. talented, yeah, very talented actors. Benedict Cumberbatch is Stephen Strange, and Cumberbatch is just incredible here. Everything that he does is spectacular. He makes him so dislikable, I said it before. Um, when he is likable, he's incredibly endearing. I think that he was perfect casting for this film. I agree, totally worth waiting for. There is... You know, I wasn't really a fan of his going in. I had, you know, no vested interest one way or the other. Uh, but I can't think of a better person suited for the role. And it, it's not just top-notch acting that you're getting. Um, the physical really impressed me, too. I thought he was great in the fight sequences. And I, I love the gestures. I don't know if that was something that he came up with himself or if it was choreographed, but... I, I just believe it so much, the hand movements. And to balance that out with the tremors, too, it's so impressive. Chiwetel Ejiofor plays Mordo. Um, I love him as a mentor. I love him as a conflicted character. Um, I love him as being somebody that cares so much about this craft and I think that's why I'm so critical of them sort of giving him weak dialogue and a weak reason for just walking off at the end of the film. Uh, I I definitely agree with that. Um, I love the conflicted character element. Um, I love how he played it. Um, I feel like he didn't get enough screen time. And that's also maybe why it doesn't feel like such a like there's no payoff at the end when he walks off. Um, I feel like Wong's character is more punched up and Mordo, I mean, he, he's sort of supposed to be sidekick to the ancient one because he wants to do what she says and he wants to take his place. Um, I think you could have, it, it could have used a bigger reaction when she offers, uh, strange to be master of the New York Sanctum and you can tell he's put out but that also would have been a good jumping off point for why he eventually just walks off because it's it's sort of enough of him 
not only having to question everything that he's learned, but it, it really does feel like everything that he has studied and everything he's done isn't good enough. So to see more of an emotional response, I think would have been more powerful. Uh, but otherwise, I, I think he's a great character and I'm really excited to see where he goes. Mads Mikkelsen plays Cassilius. I love Mads Mikkelsen. I love him in Casino Royale. I was so excited when he was cast in this film, in this role. I thought he did a great job. I just wish we would have seen more of him. I, I feel like for a movie that bends time and plays with time and plays with loops and has these incredible scenes of sorcery, you could have done so much more with him. His ending is weak. He doesn't get enough screen time. Um, and he's just so, so talented that I feel like there's got to be something on the cutting room floor because I would find it hard to believe that they wrote and developed this character to use so little of him. Again, I agree. I hate to say that such a talented actor is typecast, but in this case, there is such a reason for it because he is just a darn good villain. He He's awesome. It's just that like monotone creepily staring you down like it just always works um and in this case too we didn't really talk about it because there's not a ton of special effects makeup but what they do for the zealots with the eyes that uh it's weird it almost looks like a glam rock mask but it so works yeah it really does tilda swinton plays the ancient one Um, I gotta be honest, I thought she was good. Um, I thought it was interesting that she played sort of this androgynous role. Um, I thought that it was, uh, I thought it was great that they, they kind of turned the film on its head where she, although using it for all of the right reasons, is harnessing energy from the dark dimension. Um, yeah, I thought she was good. I liked the character. Um, I I would be lying if I said that I needed to see more of this character. Um, I mean, I think at this point we know that unless it's in flashbacks or time bending, we're not going to see her again. If we do, that's what it's going to be. Um, but yeah, I thought she was perfectly fine. I have made my feelings on Tilda Swinton abundantly clear on Monoreal Radio. Uh But for new listeners, she has terrified me since she was the White Witch in Narnia, which we will review eventually. Um, But I think the things that do terrify me about her are what work here. Um, I I mean, she did a great job. She killed it. I hate to admit it. It grieves me to admit it. But she really was great Um, to a point where you feel so bad when she's taken out. I actually felt sympathetic towards her. Uh, And I just, I love the aesthetic of the character. I, it it was a gutsy thing to do. um, But I love where they took her. Benedict Wong plays Wong. uh, And he's great because 
he not only offers comic relief towards the end of the film, but I love, I don't want to say he's like Drax or, or Drax, where it's like he is just like so literal and so about his responsibilities, but in many ways he is. Um, so he's endearing from the moment you see him. Um, and I love the relationship that he starts to form with Strange and how he kind of is the butt of the joke at the end, but he takes it all in stride. Yeah, I mean, from those first moments, you know that eventually Strange is going to break the character and they're going to be buddies, but I love the way they go about it. Uh, I love how Strange laundry lists the singular named famous people and he calls him Beyonce and then next thing you know he's listening to Beyonce um which is also something this movie does very differently is that we don't usually pull things in from the real world into the Avengers uh but they did it so well when he's listening to uh to single ladies um yeah, and I, I just love where Wong goes from there. I love the breakdown where he finally, you know, laughs at something, though, albeit totally inappropriate. Yes. Uh, but he's great. And, and I've only grown to love him more and more with each passing Avengers. Yeah. Rachel McAdams plays Christine Palmer. Um, I think that she makes her a very sympathetic character not just because she is treated so poorly and she keeps coming back out of the goodness of her heart, um, because she really is just trying to do what she can to support somebody that does not support her, but in a way that she's do really doing it out of charity. Um, but that trickles down to how she treats her patients and the way that she looks at her job and her responsibilities. Um I'll be interested to see how much more we see of her in the Multiverse of Madness. She's a character that I'd like to see them expand on a little bit. I absolutely agree. That was actually what I was going to say is I feel like she was a squandered opportunity because we don't see her. And granted, you know, there's obviously a ton of characters when you're dealing with the Avengers. Um I think she's one, though, that, like, we just could have done a little check-in with at some point. Like, did she get blipped or did she make it? We d we don't even know. So you kind of lost her thread in all of this. And I feel like to just bring her back for Multiverse of Madness as his love interest is sort of, sort of a disservice to what you could have done with such a great sympathetic character. And it's just so funny to see Rachel McAdams, you know, when you think about her starting off as Regina George in Mean Girls to the completely opposite end of the spectrum where she's so caring and so nurturing. Uh, I love her in this movie. Would I have liked more screen time? Yes, I don't think you could have given it to her. But certainly beyond this film, I think we just needed maybe not even a check-in, but a mention. Like, we don't see Jane Foster, but at least Thor mentions her in a throwaway yeah. line. We needed something like that. Final thoughts on Doctor Strange? Uh, it is strange. I yeah. keep going back and forth in this on this one. Um, it's not that I dislike the movie. I want to make that clear. But I definitely don't enjoy it as much as I did the first time that we saw it. 
Um, I enjoyed talking about it. I feel like now that we have broken it down and discussed it more, I liked it more than actually sitting there watching it uh, because I found it very hard to focus. And I don't know if that's having to do with the character being so dislikable or that we've come so far since this film in the MCU. Um, the story isn't necessarily as important as some of the, well, maybe that's not fair to say either because it's, it's an infinity stone and they're all important, but I just feel like as far as the MCU goes, is this one of my favorites? No, it unfortunately falls to the bottom when you compare it to the rest of the MCU for me. Um, and I think that that has to do that part for me has a lot to do with the character because he's not the same character that you do end up liking. So uh, this movie is sort of an enigma for me um, because I love the character. Um, but I think that part of why I love the character is because I love him in all of the films that are not his. I love him in the Avengers universe. Um, I love that we're, you know, he was really sort of indirectly teased in WandaVision because he was supposed to be in WandaVision, but they didn't actually finish WandaVision. Um, I love what he means for the MCU. This movie isn't bad. I think it's just okay. I've kind of listed out what some of the warts of it are. And the the biggest problem with it for me is that it just doesn't really hold my interest. I Every time I watch this movie, I find it very easy to kind of like trail off and you get a stupid text message or you get a Facebook notification and you kind of get buried in your phone for 15 minutes and you go, oh, wait a minute, I was watching this. Other than Thor The Dark World and the second and third Iron Man films, I don't find myself so easily tuning out a Marvel film. Um, None of the Avengers movies, neither of the Guardians movies, neither of the Ant-Man movies, neither of the Spider-Mans. You know what I'm saying? Like... This movie is one of the easiest to tune outs. Um, it's definitely in the bottom five for me, but that doesn't mean that the movie's bad. It's just that it's not my cup of tea and I don't terribly enjoy it very much. Right. And I mean, when you think of it in terms of how many Marvel movies have they made, you're not going to love every single one of them or there's going to be a dud once in a while you know everything can't be perfect as amazing as marvel is you know sometimes you are just gonna hit one that's as you said not your taste um but it's so interesting that we don't for a character that we do love i feel like we should appreciate this so much more to see how he got there i think that this is one of the few marvel movies where the sequel will be better than the first. That was Ant-Man for me. 
you thought the sequel was better than the first for Ant-Man? I disliked the first Ant-Man so much. I had said I think we only needed one as far as his origin story to get to the Avengers. I feel like they should have combined the two of them with a heavier focus on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I liked both of those films, so I think that I, I see where you're coming from, but my view on it is just so different because I like both of them. Um, but you know, this is one of those, you know, the Thor movies are great now, but the dark world isn't great at all. It's, it is the worst film in the MCU. The second two Ant-Man or sorry two uh, the second two Iron Man movies, they're not nearly as good as the first one. The Captain America series is solid. Ant-Man is solid. Spider-Man now is solid. Um, Took forever. Guardians, albeit two. Solid. Solid. Avengers, solid. Um, But by and large, I don't look at any of those films and go, or any of those franchises and go, man, the first one was good. The sequel's even better. Maybe you can make that case with the Avengers. I think you can make that case with Spider-Man, maybe. Um, I don't know that you could do it with Captain America. They're all great, but I don't think, you know, I don't know that any of the sequels are better than that first one. So I think this I'm excited for. I'm excited for this sequel. For a movie that I'm not terribly high on, I'm like really excited for the sequel. But I think that just has to do with the fact that we're getting the multiverse I think because I'm excited to see them expand on Wanda a little bit that's the thing like I want to see more of Doctor Strange but I want to see more of Doctor Strange as we see him in all of these other films that he's in not even in his own universe and I want to see if they can tie up WandaVision which you don't you shouldn't need a Doctor Strange film to tie up WandaVision but I'm really excited to see if they do tie up WandaVision, if they can tie up WandaVision and what this means moving through this next phase of of the MCU. Well, I think that's why we are anticipating it so much is because you definitely feel like Mordo has some unfinished business. Uh, And yeah, as far as Wanda goes, we're going to get a lot of questions answered. And I don't often say this, but... I'm hoping that the sequel is going to give us a greater appreciation for this. And I think that's why we're knocking on this one so hard is because it should stand on its own. We shouldn't need more context to elevate this film. Um, But definitely stay tuned to our social media because we are going to see Dr. Strange hopefully next week. Yeah. Uh, If not, definitely within the first week that it's out uh and then we'll do our monoreal in a minute review right but until then we want to hear from you we want to know what you have to say about dr strange the character the film whatever twitter instagram and facebook at monoreal radio or you can email us monoreal radio at gmail.com news of the week is coming up but first a quick break if you're thinking of booking a trip to a disney destination you have to contact jackie zalezi from magical vacation planner My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. 
Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. All thanks to Jackie Zalezi from Magical Vacation Planner. So if you would like completely free assistance planning your Disney vacation, you can get in touch with me through any of our social media outlets at Monoreal Radio on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Or you can email me directly at j.zalezi that's Z-O-L-E-Z-Z-I at MagicalVacationPlanner.com News This Week is brought to you by Karma and Kismet Designs. If you were looking to add that little touch of Disney in your home, perhaps wall decor, perhaps apparel, just that little Disney touch. As I look around this room, we we continue to add Disney touches, and I am fairly certain that we will be adding some more from Karma and Kismet. Plus, listeners of the show get a 10% discount with the code MONOREAL10 at checkout. Be sure to see everything that Kelly has to offer. She's incredible at karmaandkismetdesigns.com. That's karma, the letter N, kismetdesigns.com. A little bit of Disney Plus news this week. We have confirmation that they have started filming season two of Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. For those that didn't watch the first season, this is the show that follows the veterinarians around Disney's Animal Kingdom and watch them watches them care for the animals. Uh, it's narrated by Josh Gad. We really liked the first season. Um, I understand why we had to wait so long to get a second season with the ways of the world being what they are. But now that we've gotten past that, I'm glad to see that they are picking up with season two and moving on. And it wasn't just a one and done for them because they could have easily just been like, OK, wipe our hands of it. We'll move on. We'll do more behind the attraction. And like this was nice and it'll just live on Disney Plus. Uh, I think we can expect multiple seasons, especially now that you know, they're going to be able to film again uh, more frequently. We're going to be following these animal stories from the time that they're babies and watching them grow. So I think there's a lot that you can do with that. For sure. Well, that's going to do it for us. Thank you guys so much for joining us this and every week on Monorail Radio. Don't forget to follow us on that social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Monorail Radio. We gave you that email address, monorailradio at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on Verbal or your podcast platform of choice. And for links to everything, you can find it all online at monorailradio.com. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.